Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Morning. You're so welcome. Um, If you're watching at home, if you're catching up later in the week, you're so welcome. Uh, If you're here for little Edie's dedication, we are so thrilled that you're with us. You guys are so, so welcome. And it is amazing to have little Ezra Laverty unconscious on his dad's knee at the back there, um, fast asleep. Um, Guys, you are are so welcome. I wonder, what's the most valuable thing in your life? Like if, if you had to take a moment and share with somebody sitting beside you or around you, I wonder what you would say is the thing in your life that is the most uh, valuable. Any car lovers in, in the room? And if you say that would be your car, um, I drive a Dacia Duster. Um, it is not the most valuable thing in my life. Now that's not to say anybody else that drives a Dacia that I'm having a dig, I'm not. It's just typically, Car lovers don't drive dusters. Um, I wonder how many of you would say your Netflix subscription, if that's the case, don't admit it, we will make fun of you. Um, Sorry, Um, I'm praying for you, maybe later. Um, It's funny when we think about value, right? How do we actually measure value? And often the way that we go about measuring value is monetary. In some ways, that's the easiest way to measure value, right? So if it's really expensive, it's valuable. And if it's really cheap, it's not valuable. Except there are like random things in our lives at times that have insane value to us that don't have any value to anybody else. I spend... um, most of my life in boots. If you arrive at my house unannounced, you will find me in one of two types of footwear, walking boots or welly boots. Um, But I do have two pairs of shoes that have just an insane amount of value to me. And the reason they are so valuable is because they belong to my grandfather. Uh, who just happened to be the same size feet as me. And uh, he gave me these two pairs of dress shoes. Both are over 50 years old. And they're really valuable because they were his. I remember on the morning of James's wedding, Hannah, his wife, wrote him this really soppy uh, letter. And along with it, she was able to get James's grandfather's watch fixed and re-strapped and she gave it to him as a present. He cried so much, his makeup ran everywhere and I was convinced we were gonna be late uh, to church. (laughs) If we're honest, at least I hope, pray this is the case for you. The things that we hold dearest in our lives are the people or the possessions that remind us of people that really matter, those that we love. We're going to spend this autumn in the book of First John. Um, Stu's on holiday, so he'll not mind if I ruin some of that for him. 
because um, he's going to be teaching most of that. Uh, but I want us to look at a passage in 1 John together this morning from chapter 4. Um, 1 John 4, I'm going to read from verse 7 to 12. Come Holy Spirit. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Father, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word in this moment. Uh, we confess that we need your voice in our lives. Amen. Verse 7 in 1 John, is, it's kind of a crazy verse. It's kind of a verse that actually doesn't make a whole pile of sense. John says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's kind of a bizarre statement, particularly if you come from a uh, evangelical wing or side of the church, where the way that we get to know God is actually by surrendering our lives to Jesus. But John seems to say something in this moment that somewhat cuts across that. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. It's a bit of a mad statement. Uh, it's a really inflammatory thing if you ever find yourself in an intense conversation with an atheist who's trying to say that God doesn't exist and they don't believe in God, and then you could just quote John and say, well, do you love anyone? If they say yes, you're like, aha, according to the Bible, you know God. Anyone who loves God knows God. Now, knowing God isn't the same as surrendering your life to Jesus. I think that's really important to say. But how can this be? What's John trying to say? What's the point of this idea that if we love, we know God? You see, love, love is kind of spiritual deja vu. Any of you get deja vu a lot? I have like seasons in my life where like, it happens to me all the time where I'm like, I've definitely been here before, but I don't know when and I don't know where. But love is, love is like spiritual deja vu. When we love something or someone, something within us says, I've been here before. Or maybe more important than that, something within us says, I belong here. Like when we love and by the way, I'm not talking about teenage infatuation love. You know the love that most love songs are about. That kind of, it's all very exciting and it's all incredible and it's not very real and it doesn't really last. That's not the sort of love that John's talking about. That's not the sort of love that I'm talking about. He's talking about and I'm talking about the kind of love that would cause you to step out in front of a bus for it. The kind of love that it's in a deep place in our lives. And when we experience that kind of love, something within us says, 
I'm supposed to be here. This is true. It's so much bigger and deeper and wider than an idea or a belief statement. It's an experienced, rooted, this is what I was kind of made for. This makes sense. When we love, really love, we come home to who we were always supposed to be. How can I say that? Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness that every human being was created in the image or with the essence of God. John goes on later in that passage to say, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see, the reality is we were created in the image of love. Not teenage infatuation, romantic, I nearly said nonsense. My wife's not here, I'd be in trouble for calling romance nonsense. I just mean something deeper than that. Much, much deeper than that. We were created in the image of love. We were made in the image of love. And when we love, we come home to who we were created to be. Any parents of small kids in the room get bombarded during the week with drawings and little notes? I get literally haunted by little pieces of paper and little drawings in my house. Actually, my daughter went into my study this week and wrote me uh, a note uh, on my whiteboard titled, Church Ideas. (laughs) Two lists, one for kids and one for adults. The kids list read, don't tell stories, act them out. (laughs) Play more games. Family quizzes, add activities for at home, more worship, have two services. I know. Her adult list uh, read, have different people preach every week. <laughs> Thanks, Nor. <laughs> Our house is, is literally coming down with scrap pieces of paper with all sorts of drawings and notes on them. And my wife and my challenge is to get them into the bin without people noticing. They get very offended by that. Um, Some of you are like, oh, I'm telling you, this is like not the sort of like, oh, let's keep all these little notes because one day we'll look back at them and go, this is me. I'm talking about like mountains of meaningless notes. Um, We do have some notes that we've kept, but most of them end up in the bin. Anyway, Every time I see a piece of paper, it's like we're in the bin. But last week, last week at Chris's wedding, at Chris and Jenny's wedding, uh, we sat down to dinner, and uh, Mark Wilkinson pulled a funeral order of service out of his suit jacket. Any of you have that, where like your suit only really goes on at weddings and funerals, so you just a collection of orders of service for funerals in there. And uh, he passed it to me, and it was the order of service from my grandfather's funeral. Um, two years ago, and in the middle of the Titanic Hotel, I found myself holding this piece of paper with his photograph on the front of him and his chair and his house, and I, I was holding this piece of paper like it was the most valuable thing in the world, not because it was paper, most paper in my life 
at least ends up in the bin. I held that piece of paper in that way because of the image that it bore and because of the love I held towards that man and that image. The piece of paper bore the image of one I love and it was held with reverence and with value. You see, the whole story of God is a story of love. John says, because God loved the world, because God loved you, he sent Jesus. But Jesus, for those of us that follow him, takes that idea and then makes it really hard. Because that idea is amazing. We get to receive God's love revealed to us in the person of Jesus. And he gets to actually live through us. And that's lovely and warm and fuzzy and all those sorts of things. But Jesus, when he was here teaching, said that those who followed him had to love their enemies. And then we're kind of back to earth and teenage romances out the window again. Because if we're honest, we love the idea that God loves us. But where that gets really, really difficult is whenever he then asks or commands us to do things with his love, namely loving our enemies. Like I find it hard to love people I don't like, never mind my enemies. I mean, I don't know, who would you say are your enemies? Like the reality is most of us at least living here and now that's kind of extreme language that's a bit foreign for us. We've got colleagues that are annoying and family members that are weird, you know. Not too many of us walking around on a daily basis with enemies at corners and hiding to catch us out. Jesus says we're to love our enemies. It's impossible if we think we're going to live up to the words of Jesus by willpower alone. Just think about how hard you find it to love people who just offend you or cut you off in traffic or get into that car parking space in Tesco's before you, right? I mean, these are trivial things that, you know, not me, but you. Um, <laughs> You see, whenever we learn to see the image of the one we love on the face of every other human being, accessing our love that we're supposed to for them totally changes. When we learn to see the image of the one we love on the face of every human being, we learn to hold other people the way I held that piece of paper that Mark passed to me last week, regardless of how they are treating us. We began this series at the start of the summer asking the question, a church is successful if... Dot, dot, dot. Like you can tell that a, a church is being what it was supposed to be when it is what. And we could talk all day about the nuance of those kind of answers. 
but the practical one that I notice most in people that I talk to is big. A church is successful if it's big. Like if there's lots of people there, they're doing something right. I mean, there must be, because there's loads of people that go, and we've all been reading and watching and hearing about church decline for years, and so if anybody can figure out any way to get a large crowd there, well, forget about everything else, they must be doing something okay, except that was never a metric for Jesus. For God, there's only one metric that matters for the church and for our lives if we want to accurately assess how we're doing, and that is love. How much do we love? It's much harder to measure than monetary value. And this is really hard, right? So this is hard for me before I say it to you. The best way to measure how much we love is how we treat people that we don't like. Not how we treat people that we get on with or our friends. The measure of our love is what happens when our lives get interrupted by annoying and frustrating and terrible drivers. That is the measure of our love. And this is really, really important. Jesus said when asked, what's the most important thing that God ever said? Like that was a big question. Some lawyers tried to catch him out and they said, what's the most important thing God ever said? And uh, his answer was amazing. He said, love God and love people. That's it. Those are the most important things God ever said. And we get stuck in all sorts of other nuance that's not necessarily unimportant. It's just not as important as that. How much do we love? Love is not one of the measures of Christian maturity. It is the measure. Are we growing in Christ is measured by how we treat people that we don't like. <laughs> how we treat people that get on our nerves, how we treat people that offend us, how we treat people that hurt us. How many of us are carrying around truckloads of unresolved emotions of grief and loss and hurts from our past. How easily offended are we? How quickly do we forgive? How concerned are we with the way others perceive us? How easily do we ask for help? How able are we to rest? This summer conversation was not about us trying to just grow this thing to as many people as we can fit in this building and then go and find another one and grow it until as many people can get in there. And listen, we are four people coming to know Jesus and this thing growing. It's just not the most important metric. How well do we love God and each other? Those are the things that really matter. Those are the things that we are to value more than anything else. And when we think about the kind of community that we are dreaming about Jesus building here, it's not one that's just big. It's one that loves in a way that is utterly compelling. This was always about and will always be about us learning to love God and others. What would our lives look like if we valued 
Jesus and what he says and people more than anything else in our lives. We have um, some really practical ways for us to practice this over the next few months. We're going to talk more about tribes starting back in detail uh, over the next few weeks, but tribes are little communities that are going to gather in homes and in public spaces where we're able to do more than uh, three households, where we get to do life with each other. And here's what's really, really important about tribes as we come back to them. It's important there are people in your tribes that you don't get on with. It's important. Otherwise, you don't get to grow in love. You see, most of us, when left our own devices, we create community that looks like us, totally appropriate. Our friends typically exist in the same tax bracket. They have similar hobbies or interests. Their kids are at a similar stage. When left to our own, that's the kind of community that we'll create. It's totally normal. It just doesn't give you an opportunity to really grow in Christ. And so when you get a part of the church, usually very quickly after you join church, somebody annoying sits near you. COVID's kind of helped that a little bit. But you join a tribe and you're like, geez, I don't really get these people. Different life stage, they're older than me. They like things that I don't even like. Maybe I'll go and try and find another tribe. You go and get another one. And you're like, well, these guys are all weird too. It's really important in the church that we do life with people who aren't like us because that is the place where we have to grow in learning how to listen and learning how to forgive and learning how to practice our love. Because listen, if we can't love people in church, how do you expect to be able to do it out there? And isn't it amazing how many churches fill the brim of conflict and unforgiven grievances and people that sit in that corner don't talk to people that sit in that corner because... Three decades ago, somebody said something that we're just not letting go of. Love is the only metric that matters. It's the only metric that matters. And it's hard because it's important. So, look out for tribes. Don't just join one that has a bunch of people that look like you. Get excited when you show up and somebody has offended you. You're like, wow, this is my moment to practice forgiveness. We also uh, had a family meeting last week, Sunday night and Monday night. If you missed that and you'd like the recording of it, we'd love to send it to you. You can just drop us an email and say, hey, I missed the family meeting. Can I get the recording? It was a really, really important night. But one of the other things that we need to get back into the way of is serving the family. This family where we realize and recognize the church was never supposed to be a speaking event that we just show up to and go home and talk about whether it was helpful this week or I prefer when that other person speaks, according to my daughter. <laughs> the church makes sense when it's a family that we show up and serve in and it's full of the weird uncle or the annoying sibling or it's supposed to have those things. That's part of it. And so as we move towards the autumn, we're inviting you all to sign up to serve the family, whatever life stage you're at, no matter whether you can do one Sunday a month or one Sunday a quarter or whatever, it is so important for us that we show up and we serve this thing together because that is where we get to practice our love 
And you can just go simply onto the website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com forward slash serve. My challenge for us as we finish this summer series is how committed are you to learning to value the things that God values and to practice those things. And that's all about how much we love and how prepared we are to invest in the things that he loves. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. They're going to lead us as we uh, close. But as they do that, let me, let me pray for us. If you're able, will you stand? Father God, we thank you for the way you showed us your love in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would build a kind of church here that reflects that kind of love. Not convenient love, not shallow love, but deep, transforming, life-giving, light-bringing love to the whole world around us. Father, we thank you for the gift of people that we don't get on with. Thank you that they provide us with an opportunity to grow in our love like Jesus. Would you open our hearts to the things you want to do in our lives and the way that you want to display your love through us. In Jesus' name we pray.